T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its continuing mission to explore strange new worlds. Boldly go where no one has gone before. Engage. Engage. Virgin Enterprise. Enterprise. This is Captain Jean-Luc Picard. Captain Catherine Janeway. Captain Sisko. This is Captain Jonathan Archer. Red alert. Photon torpedoes. Fire. The official Star Trek podcast. Engage. Engage. Make it so. With your host, Jordan Hoffman. That, sir, is illogical. And to make sure history never forgets. This is Engage. Hailing frequencies open, sir. And we're back. We are back. And this is another exciting and uh, energetic energetic episode of Engage, the official Star Trek podcast, where you and I are going to engage, engage on an away mission. We're going up to Ticonderoga, New York, where James Cawley has built... With his own bare hands, uh, a marvelous—it's uh, almost like a Star Trek theme park, you know. It's—it's it's the original sets from TOS and all the great props, and he gives a great tour. And we were there on a special day called Authors' Day, and uh, part one of this is you're going to hear me take the tour and talk to James Cawley, and you're going to hear some other voices in there too. And then next week, I sit down with a number of the authors that were there for the special event. I think we talked to four of them: Michael Jan Friedman. Dave Gallanter, Kevin Dilmore, and uh, Keith R.A. DeCandido, or DeCandido. He he told me how to pronounce his name. So that's next week, though. This week is, you know, I'm, I know it's audio, and so you can't actually see it, but you're going to hear in my words how exciting that was. But before we can do that, I want to tell you something. Hey, Brian. Yes, Jordan. Do you uh, find yourself needing more space? I do. I, I save so many things on my computer, uh, including podcasts like this one, <laughs> and uh, I'm always running out of space. Yeah, you're running out of space, and when you don't, when you have too much stuff on your computer, uh, and it starts to slow other things down, right? It does. Yeah. Well, I've got some news for you. What? What are you? <laughs> <laughs> Our friends at Western Digital, who listen to this show and recognize that our listeners are the type of people that always need. More nothing, more space. This is a very zen, a very zen product. They're selling the absence of something. But what they're selling uh, at Western Digital, WD, these are really state-of-the-art and fantastic uh, solid-state drives and hard drives that will fit all of your unique needs. And let me tell you something. When you add the superior performance of WD solid-state drive to your PC, you get blazing read speeds, so you can boot your system quickly, load games, and all your other applications in a snap. Combined with a reliable WD hard drive, you get up to six terabytes. That's, how a, many, that's a lot. How many zeros are in six terabytes? I have no idea. How um, many podcasts can you put on that? A lot of podcasts. How many episodes? And probably every podcast. 
<laughs> How many episodes of DS9 could you put on six terabytes? Well, it depends on the quality of it, but I mean, right. um, a lot. A lot. You can. You, but the thing is, if you're if you're going somewhere, if you're taking a trip, you bring your solid state WD hard drive, and you're golden. Uh, so you get six terabytes of storage for games, direct feed videos, podcasts, and more, all in a single place. Now, this is the best part. This is the part that I wanted to tell you about. Everything else up to now was just just getting you psyched. For a limited time, engaged listeners can get 20% off. That's a real number. 20% off of WD Solid State Drive with coupon code WD Engage. That's all one word, WD Engage. So what you do is you go to WD.com slash engage. Use that coupon code 20% off. That's not 5%. That's 20. That is no joke. That's a real number. 20% 20% off, and I don't know, maybe you have like these little weasel uh, weasel little uh, hard drives that you keep, uh, you drop them and they fall apart. This is a quality WD hard drive that you were going to need. You needed one already. Maybe you have an old one. It's time to get a new one. Go to WD.com slash engage. Get your act together. Okay, now we're going to go back in time. Uh, you're going to hear me in uh, in a car. I'm in the back seat with... Uh, the rest of StarTrek.com drive-in, and uh, let's take it from there. Okay, and we are now, ladies and gentlemen, on, uh, what do we call it? An away mission. This is uh, an, an Engage, the official Star Trek podcast, away mission. I have the mobile emitter, and we are in the town of Ticonderoga, New York. <laughs> It is the home of number two pencils and Revolutionary War history, but most importantly, it is also the home of the Star Trek, oh, what, what is it officially called? The Star Trek Original Series Set Tour, hosted by our old friend James Cauley, who you remember, he was a you know, the star and really the originator of the next generation of of really highly professionally made Star Trek fan films, and we're gonna meet with him, and it's a special day because we're gonna meet with him on what's called Star Trek Authors Day. And we got a whole list of great authors, about nine or 10, um, our friends Dayton Ward, and Kevin Dilmore and David Mack, and uh, Michael Jan Friedman, and um, and others, and the list of others are gonna be there as well. We're in the car, we drove up last night. We have with us at the head Helm, the first name in Star Trek journalism, the Edward R. Murrow of Star Trek, Mr. Ian Spelling is here. Say hello, Ian. Hello, everybody. Yeah, and also riding shotgun, the executive officer, the ambassador of the Alachi species is here. Can I hear an Alachian hello? Hello. Yeah, that was before coffee, too. We just got up. We were we spent the night at the very lovely trout, what was it called, the Trout House? Trout House. Sounds like outhouse, but the Trout House um, Lodge. It was lovely. It was like a bed and breakfast without the breakfast. It was great. And right on the water here in Lake George, New York, which is about uh, four hours north of New York City, about two hours south of Montreal, Canada, about an hour south and west of Burlington, Vermont. I was doing a little research on Google Maps last night. But today we are headed. We're going to go have some uh, biscuits at the local diner. And then we're going to take the tour, we're going to talk to the authors, and we're going to have a lot of fun. So strap in, this is going to be an exciting adventure. James, this is a busy day for you, you got a lot buzzing around here. There's people running in and out in costumes and uniforms. It's crazy. 
You're having a good, you're a good I'm, day I'm so far. I'm having a great time, yeah. And we have about, uh, what is it, 13 or so Star Trek authors here. Can you just tell me, and I'm sure you've told this story a hundred times, um, your origin story with Star Trek, I mean, and with behind the scenes, is a very, it's almost like a story that sounds too good to be true, how you as yeah. a kid got involved with the production aspect of Star Trek. I actually, you know, I was one of those detail-oriented kids. Oh, no, you don't say. You know? <laughs> and I really, you know, I wanted, I wanted like, the real uniform. My parents bought me this uniform at a store, and I was never quite happy with it. Uh-huh. And so I used to watch the series religiously, of course, and I saw the name of the costume designer at the end of the show. And one day I called information and got the number for Paramount Pictures, called the studio and asked for, uh, I pronounced it Bill Thies at the time. Right. And they corrected me. They said, no, it's Bill Tice. I thought it was Thice. Yeah, it's Tice. Tice, okay, Tice. Yeah. And um, they put me through. And Bill yeah. answered the phone, and we had a great chat, and he got a couple of laughs, you know, because I And how old were you at the time? At the time I did that, I was 17. Okay, all right. I was 17, and we had a great laugh, and um, he promised to send me some things, and, and we had, like, this um, uh, pen pal relationship, you know, but over the phone. Yeah. And so that went on about a year and a half or so, two years, and then Star Trek The Next Generation was going into production. And I had made my own uniform based on stuff that Bill had sent me. And, and he said, well, would you like a job? And uh-huh. I said, well, what do you have in mind? <laughs> and he said, well, we've got some things we can do on Star Trek. And I said, really? So I started making some, some freelance things for him. And wow. then I ended up doing some of uh, Will Wheaton's sweaters. Wait, wait, wait. Time out. You were involved with the rainbow sweater? I was involved with the rainbow sweater. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I don't know that everybody here knows this. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. And um, I did the brown. I did a brown, a two-tone brown sweater. For oh, yeah, yeah, sure. I know that um, one, too. And I worked on, there was one other crazy, it was like a blue, dark blue, um, glittery, like a glitter fat. I'd have to look it up, but it was... Right. It was very early on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then I, w- I did several of the jumpsuits, and they Bill actually pranked me. Yeah. Um, they sent me fabrics, because <clears throat> I had been calling the, the jumpsuit red and black, red and black, red and black. Ooh. And they, I thought you know they were pulling my leg. They sent me this fabric that was almost purple, this cranberry color. Yeah. And had me to make a, to make a costume uh, to see if I could get the job to make more. And when I, I got it, I called him up and I said, this isn't the right fabric. You know, this is like purpley color. Yeah. And they started laughing. They're like, no, that's the fabric. And I said, no, it's supposed to be red. And I was emphatic. Yeah. And so I'm telling the costume designer he's wrong. Yeah. And then he said, hang on a minute. And the phone went dead. And a few seconds later, this voice comes on and he says, can I help you? And I said, um, yeah, I'm, I'm working on this costume, but I think I've got the wrong, wrong colors. I said... Who am I talking to? He said, well, this is Jonathan Frakes. <laughs> and I said, well, what color are the clothes you have on? <laughs> what are you wearing, Jonathan? And he goes, yeah. I kind of yeah. this cranberry and black number. Yeah, yeah. And I said, oh, okay. And that was it. Okay. So they pranked me. <laughs> they pranked, yeah. That was That's really amazing. Fun. So it's been a long road from that through everything else you've done. And now, how you're in this this tour, when when did this open exactly? This we tour? opened uh, very, very smallly last October. Okay. And we were open through the fall. Right. And so this is going to be our first full season. Okay. And there's still a couple, you were showing me the, the gift shop is still being tweaked yep. a little bit. Yep. Which is an important stop because it you, is want, an important stop. you want people to have a great time, but also leave a few dollars behind when they leave. Absolutely. Well, you know, uh, I'm a Trekkie and I'm, I'm already leaving money behind. Yeah. So. <laughs> and then uh, there's also one one of the rooms is still being tweaked a little bit, the decompression chamber. Yes. Um, but and it's, I would say, 93% finished absolutely. here. Absolutely. And engineering, and we're adding the the uh, emergency manual monitor set. 
So oh, you're going to be able to yeah. go up to the second story and look down over the, oh, the wow. main engineering set. Cool. So. so, yeah, it's been a long road, um, but when they come see you, and you're here, I mean, yep. this is your baby, they're here, they're going to say, oh, the guy who runs the Star Trek tour, he kind of looks like Elvis. Kind of looks like Elvis. What, tell us about your, your other life a little bit. <laughs> well, I, I basically, you know, got out of the, the costuming thing. Yeah. Because... One, Bill Tice left the show, yeah. uh, and I was a fish out of water. I was kind of a young kid that did, didn't really know anybody. I was kind of scared, you know, small-town kid in a big place. Yeah. So I, I ended up uh, taking a job at a radio station, and they asked me to do a commercial with Elvis's voice, which I did. Yeah. Um, and based on that, they had me do a talent show. And in the audience of the talent show was a guy who hired me to go perform at a restaurant, uh-huh. and it kept making money. And then I, at that, I met a guy uh, who had a show called... The King in Concert, and he was a producer in Atlantic City, and he hired me sight unseen after that. That wow. was it, and he just said, "I want you to come and do the show." So that was 30 years ago, and I'm still wow. doing the show. And Atlantic City back then was was it was Atlantic it City was, now was a dump, but yeah, back I then mean, it was, was Vegas still, of the East Coast. Yeah, you know? yeah. And and so I did that, and then I went to Hollywood superstars and Legends in Concert. Wow. And so I do these live touring shows as Elvis. I've toured with Elvis's backup singers and his bandmates. I've had a, yeah. I've had a good time. So and, and and that has been ostensibly your day job. That is my day job. And yeah. for other people, that is their Star Trek. But your Star Trek Absolutely. is it's a it's a domino effect there. Yeah. Star Trek was my was my way to get away from uh, performing. <laughs> right. You know, right, it was right. my it was my release. It was my my private playtime. So How yeah. would Elvis? tell uh, Sulu to take evasive action? Uh, he would probably say lock faces on stun. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's plenty of ways to do it, son. You know? <laughs> oh, that's a lot of fun. How would Elvis, and you gotta, if you ever... Hey, first of all, he wouldn't, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't bother with Sulu. He'd be after Yeoman Rand. Right. <laughs> Uh, he and Kirk would not like each other because no. they'd both be after the girlfriend of the yeah, week. Yeah, yeah. I think Elvis, I think about that. Elvis and, and, and Nurse Chapel, I think, would get along I well, I really too. think they'd get along well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. Majel actually met Elvis, I believe. I wouldn't be surprised. I, I'm pretty yeah. sure she did. A lot yeah. of, uh, we were talking here, a lot of Star Trek guests. There is a lot of, of Star crossover. Trek Elvis crossover, yeah. for sure. For sure. Cool. Well, listen, so um, this has been a great day for me, personally. I've had so much fun today. And I'm glad this is your first season, uh, and this is a dream come true for a Star Trek fan. It, it, really, it is. really is. And if you're on the East Coast and you're looking for a three-day weekend, this town is lovely. The the you know it's it is I'm, the it's mayor. Mayberry. The mayor of this town should be here kissing your feet. You're bringing such value to this community. The, the community loves it. And, you know, I, I get phone calls at times. Oh, we saw people dressed in Star Trek uniform. Are they coming to your, your right, place? Right, right, right. Uh, oh, we had people in the restaurant that, that were yeah. Trekkies today. Well, so. you know, I went, I went across the street to the, the little used bookstore right yep. across the street. I was kind of wandering in there. And I was talking to the owner, and he, I said, you know, what's happening across the street? A lot of Star Trek authors are here. He's like, yeah, you'll notice that we have a large sci-fi section. We probably wouldn't have that if it wasn't for James, but, you know. And then I, it was funny. I went, and they had one of Michael Jan Friedman's books right there. You know, I was like, hey, look at that. How about that? So uh, you can come here and buy a used copy of one of the books here today. Um, cool. All right. Well, thanks again. I know you got stuff you got to do Thank here, you, so uh, we'll 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 be up here again this summer. I hope. I hope so. I hope you come for Trek Onderoga. You know, Chekhov is going to be here. I knew her. When is this happening? Yeah, that's in August. August twenty fifth. Walter and Michelle are here on the bridge. August twenty fifth. Walter and Michelle will be here in Trek Onderoga. That's going to be a blast. Can't wait to see it. All right. Thanks again, man. I thanks, appreciate Jordan. it. So the word I'm hearing time and again is people are saying, "Oh my God! Oh my God! Oh my God!" 
We have entered the tour, and we're in sort of the antechamber, and James Cawley is going to give a tour to the collected 11, or maybe it's 12 authors, and people have brought their uh, 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 wives and, and friends, and we've got a nice group, maybe 25 people here. And uh, when you first walk in, the first thing I saw was Nomad. It was like a giant, here's Nomad. And oh my God, those are the cubes. That's, that's, uh, that's, um, <laughs> that's yeoman uh, Leslie Thompson before she gets destroyed. She's right here. And there, there's Baylock is here, and there's, uh, there's um, all sorts of original series medals and devices. And is that an agonizer I see? Is this an agonizer I see before me? Oh, wait, what is this, if I may ask you? An Elysian Guard Disruptor. Would you mind introducing yourself, sir? Hi, I'm Willie Yee. I'm, uh, I work on this, uh, as one of the volunteers. But who are you dressed as today? Dr. Donald Corey. From? From Elba 2. <laughs> there you go. Awesome. Oh my God, it's Key Luke. <laughs> so there's a lot of fun happening, and uh, we're going to sit down. We have, uh, we're going to talk as much as we can individually with some of the authors that are here, but um, just sort of the props have blown me away. Those are the plants. At first, I thought they were just regular plants, but these are the plants <laughs> from, uh, no, these are the spores. What is it, from this side of paradise? Is that what these are from? Don't get too close. Don't get too close. And then, uh, just to let you know how the, the level of detail, when you drive up, first of all, there's a car souped up to look like a shuttlecraft, uh, which I think is a somebody's car. And then there is um, st uh, signs for the Desilu stage, which I think is nice. And then as you walk in the antechamber, there's a Gorn to greet you and a salt vampire. And just in case you're wondering, the Gorn is taller than the salt vampire because they're kind of side by side. <laughs> so with that... Um, you can hear my breathless excitement. There are some giant scoop lights and some old cameras here, but we are backstage. We have to actually get to, oh, there's the giant thing from For the World is Hollow and I Have Touched the Sky, the big um, altar. It's gigantic. Oh, my God. All right, well, I'm going to try to take some photos later, but um, for now, uh, we're going to take five and uh, we're going to let James take us on this tour. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. This is Engage, Engage, the official Star Trek podcast. Energize. So we have just uh, exited McCoy's Medical Bay after going through the transporter room, and the level of detail here is just staggering. The bio beds look just like, they, like they're supposed to look. Now we're in the outer surgical area. So James is giving uh, about 20 people a tour here. We're back in the, I, I think the corridor is my favorite room because it really looks just like you're walking around the Enterprise here. It's really amazing. The lighting is exactly the way it is on the show. We have now entered the briefing room. Well, the briefing room, but it's also... Oh, there's there's a Vulcan loot here. There's Federation flags. This is where uh, various court martials happen. There's some three-dimensional chess. Three-dimensional checkers. And what looks like three-dimensional Othello. Three-dimensional tic-tac-toe. Okay. And uh, there's the little monitor here. And, um, and a very nifty... 
star. Um, I guess I never realized that there would be a uh, forward window in the briefing room, but I guess uh, I, I trust this to be all, uh, all to scale. And what's amazing is just all the detail on the walls and just everything looks exactly like it did in 1966. I have taken a time capsule today and there's <clears throat> literally 12 writers here all trying to keep their shit together, flipping out, wanting to touch everything. <laughs> but everybody's got, a, everybody's got an iPhone camera so they'll, be, uh, they'll have a picture taken if, uh, if they're shown. Our friend David Mack is playing three-dimensional chess right in front. He's playing three-dimensional chess, but also manipulating one of the monitors. I think that's what Ahura used in uh, Space Seed, if I'm not mistaken. I'm in the room where uh, Khan uh, trapped everyone during Space Seed. That's what I specifically remember this from. Well, we just... I don't exactly... That room was sort of an all-purpose room. It was the room where uh, they had the decompression chamber from the episode Space Seed, and there was a... Uh, even I said, what the heck was that doohickey from? And James said, oh, it was from the episode I Mud. It was a nanopulse so probe. Nanopulse laser. And, uh, you know, the, the, the shading in between the rooms uh, was like, it looked, you know, in the 60s it was used in motels, but he said it was dozens and dozens and dozens of, of uh, little tiny pieces of PVC to make it look like the shade in between the rooms. But now we're going across the corridor into Captain Kirk's chambers. And immediately somebody shouted out, may yes. we use the Tantalus field inside. So uh, this, you know, I mean, uh, if you read between the lines, this was a very busy uh, chamber. You know, this is Captain Kirk uh, would spend his evenings. I mean, we all know that he was in there just sort of like, uh, you know, reading memos from Starfleet, but let's come on in and, oh yeah, this is it. Okay, so two things. Captain Kirk's lair. The little brass treasure box that you see right there on the shelf. The brass treasure box is the original from the set in 1966. You see it in the picture behind Mr. Shatner. He actually gave it to the president of his fan club, the William Shatner Fellowship. She passed away about two years ago, and we got it from her daughter, so it's now back on the set where it belongs. The other bit of trivia that we like to ask people, does anybody recognize this? I don't know what it was. I was going to say, I don't remember a dagger on... Uh, it's on Kirk's desk in the, in, in the yes. remainder of the second season, but does anybody know what it's from? No. No? That's from a part of a war. No, keep going, you're getting close. Second season. This is the, the the Red Jack knife from Rigel Seven. Everybody's like, of course, of course. I'm like, I recognize the tricorder over there, and the picture of Sorry and Brandy. And what is that? It looks like a giant tissue box. What is that over there? I think it's like a little jewelry box, a little trinket box. Gotcha. Yeah. There you go. Right for the liquor bottle. Uh, some good. It might be Aldebaran whiskey. It might be sorry and brandy. Whatever it is, it packs a punch. What I love is seeing the books on Kirk's shelf because not all of them are in English. That is a language that I do not recognize well, over there. That is that is a tribute uh, to another CBS series that Shatner guest starred on. That is the To Serve Man cookbook from the Twilight. <laughs> nice. There is an Easter egg here on the there tour. There is an Easter egg on the tour. Okay, good. Uh, there's also Moby Dick and volumes about Abraham Lincoln. Well, that is much more in character, obviously. And I love that no matter where you go, there's try there's a three-dimensional chess Absolutely. like everywhere, just in case you want to break into a game. Yep. 
we have both of the different styles of the chess pieces that they used from from the different seasons of the show. So yeah. the diehards can pick them out. What did the designers call this shape, which is kind of everywhere? It's a sort of this uh, parallelogram type. What do you internally call it? I, I, we just call it wall art. <laughs> Don't get me the wall art. Right, right. But you see it everywhere. It's I mean, it's, say again. It's a trapezoid. It's a trapezoid. What did I call it? A parallelogram. I. Uh, it's not a parallelogram. Oh no! So, somebody's I, I, on Kirk's bed. I oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> Somebody just jumped on Kirk's bed. He's got to go. Quadrilateral, not a parallelogram. But I didn't realize how much of a recurring theme it is. In the in the set until I got here today. Futuristic shape, futuristic shape, right? We don't have rhombuses and trapezoids in today. Awesome. It's a great story. All right, I thought that there was a bust of Spock here in right on Kirk's bed bedside the post, which would have been a nice story. But James says otherwise. No, it's a, I always thought it was a Romulan if you look at it, but it's not. It's actually this. this they were bookends. There were two of them, uh-huh. and we first see them in the man trap. They're behind Doctor McCoy's on his on the headboard of his bed. They're bookends. Mm-hmm. Well, it turns out they date back to RKO Studios, which was to become Desi Lu when Lucy oh, and Desi bought it. Okay. Yeah. The first time you ever see that prop on screen is Citizen Kane with Orson Welles. Well, Wow. Yes, yes, you can actually see it in Citizen Kane. But it looks like a Romulan. It, it looks like a Romulan. It really Romulan. does. But it's actually sculpted by this artist named John John de Swart, and it was made in 1933 by RKO Studios. Is that, is that the? That's a copy. One? We molded okay. off the original. The original was sold at auction, wow. and that's a copy. So this is a perfect example. Just the level of detail, the tiniest little thing, and then you do the research and say, "Whoa, it's from RKO," and then you go and make a copy of it. That's exactly right. Because wow. again. The Enterprise is Star Trek. That's the main character, more than Kirk, Spock, and the rest of them. So your eye goes to what's wrong, not what's right. We want you to see everything right. Wow. So that's why we do this. Did you do all the research in advance, or did you do it as you were moving along? Moving along, we did a lot before we started, but as you go, you start looking at things in more detail. Okay, what is that thing? What did they use? Where did they come from? And then you start digging. And of course, the internet has become this massive tool. You can find just about anything if you're determined to look. And that's what we've been doing. Plus, we go to swap meets. We go to all these different things where antiques are sold. And we hunt. And we have a whole group of people that are doing this from one end of the country to the other. You know, because we're global. The, the people that have come to be involved in this project for 15 years are from all over the world. Right. So we've got a lot of eyes and ears out there. Sure. So people are looking, and they're constantly trying to make it better. And, oh, James, help. Look, we found this. Here's yeah. this. So. All right, we are now back in the corridor underneath the giant sign that says, Warning. Are you giving her all she's got? Is that what's happening over here? Apparently not. <laughs> Apparently I have more to give. What, what, what is it? This is, we're sort of in the middle of the corridor here, and there's a bunch of plugs. That's the fun thing everybody likes to read. Was that actually on the sh- Was that, that something, something? All right, so that's your own. Uh, but this was also but, the garbage. Oh, so what this is is uh, there's a little sign that says warning high voltage, and you yank on it, and all these blinking lights and plugs come out. And Dayton, you just saved uh, the Enterprise. Congratulations. You, you, You're welcome. <laughs> Move some plugs around, but but it's a little thing that you would think that you're not even allowed to touch, but uh, obviously you are, and um, there's a lot, a lot of cool little Easter eggs and hidden corners and quirks here on this tour, which is uh, ten times bigger than I thought it ever would be. I thought this would be just a couple of sets, like, uh, you know, sometimes you go to one of the conventions and they have the bridge or there, but we haven't even gotten to the bridge yet. This is insane. There's Jeffrey's tubes everywhere and rooms and screens. Some of them lead to things. Some of them don't. There's trapezoids everywhere, uh, and everything is the right colors, and everything has the right lighting also. And they also have these fans up there, 
um, which I guess um, I, I guess they can turn them on and make the lighting even extra dramatic. Is that what that is? No. Tell, tell me what that is, David. Uh, James just told me that they're just uh, aluminum cookies that they had made just to cast certain shadows as if they were grading up there or whatever. So so they're static. They don't move. Although you could move them in different directions. But you know, I mean, that's one of the things that is an extra twist to this is that it's not just the sets that are built and the props it's the lighting also that makes you feel like you're in the show um that and the fact that uh you know i am uh wearing uh captain kirk's tunic today no i'm joking but um yeah it's a real it's a real head trip man <laughs> so i don't know where we're gonna go next we're we're nearing another jeffrey's tube 12 people shouted at once when the dilithium crystal actually descended into the intermix chamber. We are in the engineering room now, which is massive, and it's actually got a mezzanine level, which I like. I remember certain fights happening up there, uh, and there is a, a really beautiful force perspective job done on these sort of purplish and orange um, warp core here in this really remarkable and large engineering room. A uh, lot of blinking lights, a lot of buttons, a lot of dials, a lot of um, octagons, and um, orbs. And with cool, I don't know how this lighting trick is done, but there's a cool, these cool orbs near the, uh, near the intermix chamber. Listen, hey, we're going to go to warp. We're going to need something to create that subspace bubble. Not easy, right? You're going to need something. Um, Everybody's just kind of going nuts. We've been on this tour now for about a half hour, um, and uh, we haven't even made the bridge yet. And uh, at first, people were just kind of like, oh, you know, we're kind of quiet taking this, this little tour. And by now, everybody's just kind of screaming and yelling. It's pretty entertaining. Um, and uh, I'm going to slip back out again because I didn't even realize how. I've got to go take a photo back in the corridor because I didn't catch this angle before. This is so cool. Well, we've just entered the bridge, and James, could you repeat what you said about the ice cube trays? Yeah, a lot of these buttons were molded from vintage ice cube trays, like these small double squares, they're little martini ice cubes. And these, of course, are different size, larger ones. They molded them and flipped them upside down and glued them down. You can see them all over the bridge. These are actually molded jujube candies. And then the small ones are half marbles that they molded. And all the vintage aircraft toggle switches and things that we've been able to find. Well, it's got that real sort of bold, big colors that was, you know, key to the key to the show. And as you were saying earlier, there are a lot of interactive screens that um, were not as it was on the show, but was originally what Roddenberry had intended. But due to union rules and the need for different projectionists for each of these screens. Uh, so finally, it's come to life here. How long did it take you to put to program all these? It really didn't take that long. I mean, the hard part was recreating some of the original artwork. If you look, we actually used their original artwork, and then we just put moving images over the top. I see. Yeah. So that it was familiar, yet a little more high-tech for people. Yeah. And, you know, we didn't enter through the turbo lift. You said earlier that you wanted to make this tour as if you were an actor on the show. So we went in from backstage, and you got to see what just looks like a bunch of wood, and you're like, eh, how impressive is this going to be? Then you turn the corner, and, and boom, you're on the bridge. You are going to be entering through the turbo lift, though, beginning uh, Memorial Day this year. There's a ramp that will take you up to the turbo lift, and the bridge is going to be enclosed 360 degrees. Oh, awesome. So you will be able to be in here, and there's going to be images playing on the view screen, which is, of course, an 80-inch television. And it's amazing, 50 years ago, they, they knew what widescreen was because we, we purchased this television and just slid it right into the opening. Oh, wow. No, no changes to the dimensions. Now, uh, Spock's station is uh, right here. But the, oh, and there's the blue thing right here. So when Leonard Nimoy was looking into the 
telemetry machine. He was getting a blast of a blue light. A blue light, but we we have heard rumors from like Walter and a few others that they used to try to break him up by putting pornographic images in there. So, but what was really in there, we really don't know. I wasn't, you know, we weren't there. So. What is this spinning spiral called? Because sensors. That's the main sensors. If you remember in uh, Balance of Terror when they were dark, yeah. Spock was repairing, and he leaned up here and he hit that button. And it activates it just the way it did on the show. Oh, wow. And the earpiece. Oh, there's the earpiece. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. He put it in his ear. <laughs> oh, wow. All right. Well, you can go bananas here. I'm going to stare at every little goo here. And obviously, the, the, the captain's seat, you said it was a 60-year-old... Sixty-year-old Madison chair. It's an office chair. You'd find these in like doctors and dentists' office. Yeah. It had four legs on it. Sometimes a pedestal base. They pulled that off and then made the custom carriage with the control arms and just sat the office chair in the center of it. Yeah. Sixty-year-old. Sixty-year-old Madison, Madison chair. They are very hard to find and very expensive if you do find one. Star Trek fans know what it is. <laughs> awesome. And uh, yeah, and they're condition alert. I'm just going to walk around here a little bit. We've got. Uh, Keith, you're at the, um, what station oh, are you at? I guess you're at the upstairs. An earwig. Yes. Can you tell me that the hailing frequencies are open? Hailing frequencies are open. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you very much. All right, whoops, I'll get out of the way. People are taking photos. Uh, and here is the, um, right, here's the plaque. Starship class, San Francisco, California. Uh, this is the turbo lift, and there is the giant view screen, and... Uh, all right, that's where uh, Chekhov would sit. And, uh, well, listen, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, how interesting is it for you to hear me say, oh, my God, oh, my God. But I'll tell you, the trip up here to Ticonderoga is a lot of fun if you are a Star Trek fan who likes to take pictures of yourself on the bridge. And I've been pretty blown away by this tour so far. Um, and you can just hear everybody giggling. Everybody's taking photos of themselves sort of leaning to the left and leaning to the right. Um... And I love, you know, the railing here is, is, is just where it's supposed to be, you know? They really did a great job. Also, the little data chips, the little uh, bright yellow and bright orange and bright, bl bright blue. Really cool. Really cool. So, Kevin, let me ask you a question. Sure. When, you know, there's the, the expression, you feel like a kid again. When you're on the bridge set... You know, obviously we're here, we're telling jokes. What, what, what are you feeling when you when you see something like this? It's hard for me even to articulate. I mean, to be honest, when I was walking, what I've been doing is kind of, while everybody's in one room, I might backtrack and go a room or two back to just kind of be in it where it's a little bit silent. I'm, I'm really not even sure what to say. I mean, it's the, the whole in the sense, or in the box sense of Star Trek being real and the out of the box of Star Trek being a production has colliding in my mind because I'm seeing the flyaway walls and I know you know I mean objectively that uh, this is a, a film production but then with the sound effects being in and the lights working and the buttons working you know my brain is just you kind of want to be here with your friends after after hours and everybody leaves and you could kind of play around overnight right it's, be, that'd be great yeah if we all had sleeping bags and could just <laughs> sleep out you know and it'd be perfect it's got to be weirder for you as someone who, who writes you know Star Trek novels 
I mean, you, you've this is your sandbox that you've played in creatively. Yeah, it's just, there's there's things and gaps that you didn't see in the TV show that you kind of fill in, especially if you need a scene or an angle or whatever for uh, for what you're writing that isn't on the television. And so to walk around in all this is, is quite a deal. Yeah, I mean, I think it really hit me in the engineering room. It's like, oh, the, yeah, yeah, this is where the core is, and you go up the little staircase, and that's, you know, I, you've never seen engineering from the point of view up there because they could never get the camera up there in the old days but you can go up there and see what it looks like so it's, it's it absolutely just is very i mean immersive is the only word right, right. even here on the bridge i mean you can sit at spock station and look at the view screen from spock's point of view never did that on the show oh right i mean even just to stand and look in his viewer which of course is just nothing but a soft blue light glowing up no i saw i saw the beta quadrant i don't know what you saw oh wow i guess maybe <laughs> maybe it's one of those personality tests you know i saw I saw a snake chasing a donut. I'm not really sure what it means. All right. Well, and, uh, it's everybody's here just having a really, really good time taking pictures of one another it's, and it's stuff. Fun. Yeah, it's fun to share with people that I've worked with for a long time. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you, Kevin. Absolutely. Is that the? Um, this is from for the world is hollow. Right. And a, what, what is the? What is it called again? That that is the oracle of the people. <laughs> <laughs> from for the world is hollow, and I've touched the sky. Right. Right. And these are original scoop lights and cameras from they Desilu. Are. They are. The camera itself uh, is from the studio. We don't know if it was actually used on Star Trek or not. We're still searching numbers, but it was used on Mission Impossible. Uh, it was used on Car 54, Where Are You? All these other Desilu shows. So Ooh. one can can really speculate. Yeah, it, more yeah. than likely, it was on Star Trek. Wow. The image is captured in that By camera. That camera. <laughs> <laughs> so you were saying this is an original Klingon outfit yeah, here? It's an original Klingon costume. We've got a few other original pieces that are going to be on display. Um, one of the things that we're really proud of, we just rebuilt Spock's controller from the cage. We found oh, it, wow. uh, and that's an intercom, an office intercom system from the 1940s, and we did the same conversion on it. So this is going to be a timeline in here of the original series. Like a little museum, yeah. That's right. It's going to start with Lucy, you know, agreeing to purchase Star Trek. Nice. And go to the pilots, and then all the way through, and we're going to have all the alien weapons and costumes. We've got a full-size Baylock that's going in here. I could see his head. You so his head, and we have Nomad. That he's actually, Nomad is actually interactive. You're going to be able to push buttons, and he lights and insults you. <laughs> And I noticed a Melkoshian over there also. There's right? the Melkoshian that'll be in here, and all of the props are all... Are these original, original tribbles here? There are some original. The, the red and white one is from the original episode. Wow. And, and the other ones around him are from Trials and Tribulations, so they're all screen used. Okay, they're all screen used. They're sitting in Mr. Lurie's chair from, from the Trouble with Tribbles. Wow. Oh, man. This is... Uh... This is a dream come true. It really is. Uh, congratulations, man. This is really exciting. And I can see now there are, you know, we got here a little early for the special tour, but now people are coming to take the tour. And so I'm, I'm you know, for, for, I'm trying to convince people to come up to Ticonderoga also to see Lake George. It's very beautiful. Make a weekend out of it. How much does a, does a, does a tour through this museum cost the average person who walks in? In adults, it's $22. That's nothing. Yeah. They should, they should be double that. <laughs> it's $22. And, and, you know, we tell people, come, you can, you can spend the weekend in Lake George Village. There's six flags. There's so much stuff to do. Yeah. There's Fort Ticonderoga here, and then there's Star Trek Tour. You know, they're doing 80,000 people a summer through here, so it should wow. be uh, it should be a great season for All us. All right, you're two hours from Montreal, three and a half from New York City, an hour from Albany, an maybe? Hour, hour and a half from Albany. All right, so this is a destination, and for Star Trek fans, it's a bucket list destination, really. I am on walking on air all day. This has been so much fun. James, thanks so much for doing this. I am now going to scope out more of the little individual goo you've got and these are all 
Some of these are original, I guess, some the ones. Are, some of them are. Some of them have been custom rebuilt. Um, we had uh, access to some of the Greg Jean original stuff. We're talking about the props here in the display, because what was the most difficult one to rebuild? The Phaser 2. When you see that, I'm going to show you that. I'm going to take it apart and show you. It oh actually breaks down exactly as the original prop did. Wow. The handle, it has all the vintage electronic components, everything. These are museum pieces. These are not. My, my, the one that did it for me was, and you got it right up there, is uh, Lieutenant Leslie Thompson, excuse me, Yeoman Leslie Thompson, almost dead. Almost dead, yeah, in the, in the styrofoam block form. <laughs> oh, man, that's a blast. All right, this, and there, um, where's the salt shakers? Right over here. Oh, yeah. So the story was... Um, right here. Yeah. They bought the red and green salt shakers, and then Gene Roddenberry said, nobody's going to recognize those as salt shakers, so those are going to become McCoy's surgical instruments. So there they are. <laughs> and then the ones that they, they bought to use for the salt vampire are right there. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. And there's some of Scotty's whiskey. Absolutely. Uh, and next to a giant Idic uh, medallion and... Oh, there's the original. There's a communicator from the cage. That's right, and the laser pistol. Yeah. And uh, I'll take these out and show you. This was created off off the only surviving hero phaser prop from the original series. It, wow. It has every uh, vintage component. It breaks down. You're going to be amazed when you see this. Very cool. Oh, and there's a copy of James Blish's Spock Must Die. We should make sure that all the authors see that, as that is the first. Star Trek novel that was not a novelization of one of the shows. That was the first expanded universe. And uh, there it is in, in great condition. I own that. I've read it. And mine was a, it's a beat up mess. This one is a beautiful mint, mint condition original. And I've also got that teacup also. All right, this is great. All right, everybody, you got to come to Ticonderoga, New York. Book your tickets now. Get on a bus. Get on a plane. All right, so James Cawley just gave me an away mission. He said, leave the bridge. Now that everybody's on the bridge, go into engineering, which is the last stop before the bridge when you take the tour, and then walk back to the beginning through all the other rooms, uh, this medical bay, uh, Kirk's chambers, and most importantly, the corridor, because as you put it, it'll feel like you're... It feels like you've done it before because you've seen it so many times on television. You get this eerie sense of deja vu. Yeah. So just go do it, okay. and then you're going to be shocked. Yeah, I'm in engineering, and I'm by myself, and now I'm exiting, and uh, nobody's here with me. Yes, so I am now on the Enterprise as, if, as I've dreamed it a thousand times, and the corridor is huge. It's a curved corridor, so you can't see the ending, and there's a Jeffrey Dudes, and yeah, James is right. I'm getting chills right now. It's really weird. I feel like I'm having a deja vu sensation. I'm alone on the bridge, and there's 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 Kirk's chambers, and there's officers' quarters, and uh, there's Spock's room. Although you don't go in there, and then the lighting changes from purple to red, and oh my god, I'm gonna start to cry right now. <laughs> there's the briefing room, and I'm going around, and there's medical bay, right? Uh, <laughs> It's red alert. Oh, my God. And now I'm walking back uh, through the transfer uh, transporter room. Yeah. You know, I don't know how far you are from Ticonderoga, New York, but this is really a cool trip. So, um, and you can also kind of see it backstage. I mean, what, what James said originally is that he didn't want to make this like an amusement park. It's a recreation. So you do see that the doors move and they're pulled and it is just wood. But then when you get into it and immerse yourself, it feels like you're, you know, you are in the show. You're in the world. All right, man. I'm going uh, to zone out.
This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.